Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Let me invite you this morning to turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We are uh, continuing in our series of messages entitled the series Membership Matters. And this morning we're going to, uh, we're in a, looking at these various uh, texts from week to week on this subject and, and text as they relate to how membership matters, what it means to be a member of the local body of Christ, and specifically again as members of, of this local church and what scripture teaches is our responsibility. And again, why membership matters. Many today, I uh, speak to some today who um, in some churches where perhaps they, um, uh, they don't really have a membership role and, and maybe they think that that's just uh, you know, unnecessary, and, and, and particularly joining a church. I've known of some people that said, well, you know, I, I attend that church, but I'm not really a member. Uh, but even those in churches that have membership, maybe, again, some people just think that's just uh, unimportant. But it really does matter, and we, we believe that Scripture is very clear in teaching its importance and, and what our responsibility is as a membership in the local body of Christ. This morning, we're going to look at, at Matthew chapter 18, in which the Lord Jesus gave us some very very important instruction. And I want you to look at that passage with me this morning, Matthew 18, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 15. And having found that passage, let me invite you, if you will, please to stand with me, if you're able, Matthew 18, beginning with verse 15 and reading through verse number 20. I'm reading from the New King James translation. Scripture says, moreover, Jesus says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. We begin this series of messages in Matthew chapter 16, which we shared with you was the first time in Scripture uh, that we find the Lord Jesus mentioning the church. Much of Jesus' teaching and emphasis uh, had to, related to the kingdom of God. But in Matthew 16, he, he gave us the word concerning the church and how he was the builder of the church. And again, in this passage, the Lord Jesus is telling us as the church how we are to deal with correction of one another. And he gives us in this passage the authority. In fact, the title of the message today is Membership Matters because Jesus authorized his church to practice 
biblical discipline. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to worship you. And Lord Jesus, we do say today, you are worthy. You are Lord of all. You are Lord of your church. And Lord Jesus, we pray today as we have opened your word together and as we uh, continue in a spirit of worship, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you indwell the heart and life of every uh, child of God. We thank you that you have told us in your word that you indwell your temple, your, your church, your corporate body. And we thank you today, Lord, that you are here in our midst. And we pray you will be glorified and worshiped as we, by your, as your children, receive your word today. Speak to our hearts, Father. Father, and may we receive the truth of your word. And we thank you again for the indwelling Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and, and enables us to understand and apply the truth of the word of God and to obey the word of God. So we want to be not merely hearers of the word, but we want to be doers, obedient doers of the word. So we thank you for the outcome of that today. And we pray today, you again will speak to the hearts of those in our midst who don't know Christ. And though, Lord, today we preach uh, to your church as we're instructed, we pray also, the gospel will be proclaimed and people might recognize their need for a relationship with Christ, to be convicted and uh, to turn from sin, to trust in Christ, surrender their life to the Lordship of Christ and be glorified in, in all that is said and done in these moments together. In Jesus' name we pray and for his glory and all God's people agreed and said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Some time ago, I heard about a, um, a man who uh, was in a department store and, and he got into, into trouble uh, with the authorities, with the law. And, and the reason was is because he saw a child, an unruly child in this store who was misbehaving and uh, the parents were doing nothing about it. And so he decided somebody needed to step in and do something about this unruly child. So he sought to, to discipline this child. Well, of course, he got in trouble about that. Why? Well, because he had no authority to discipline someone else's child. Now, we've probably all been there, right? In the department store, especially in the line right in front of you, right? When some child was screaming and crying for that candy or whatever it was, they put there just to, uh, so those children will take it and, uh, or, or buy it, mom and dad will have to buy it. And uh, so, uh, so it, was a, it was a real issue, a real problem, because he was taking, trying to take authority that he did not have. Well, one of the ways that we uh, know the Bible teaches the importance of the local body of Christ, not just the what we call sometimes the universal church, uh, but, but again, among those references in Scripture that teach the local body of Christ is, on, is concerning this matter of biblical church discipline. And again, we see in this passage and in others that Jesus has authorized the local church to practice biblical discipline within its membership. And that is one of the real affirmations and, and clear uh, teachings in Scripture concerning church membership. But many today, and, and most churches, I believe we could say, have uh, no longer practiced biblical church discipline. Again, as you study the beginning of the church and you see the establishment and, all, and, and throughout the inspired writings of the New Testament, you see this, and we'll look at a few of those references today in which it is certainly taught. And yet many today uh, no longer practice church discipline. And some even uh, refer to it as, as being uh, unloving and, and, and as being judgmental. And, uh, and why do they have this attitude? Well, again, because they don't understand what true biblical church discipline is. In fact, if it is unloving and if it is judgmental, then it is not 
biblical. It is not biblical church discipline if it is practiced in those attitudes and those ways. And by the way, we only it, 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 neither is it merely punishment. You know, uh, we know as parents the importance of disciplining our children, don't we? In fact, we know that is one of the things I often hear people say. Well, the problem today in our nation is we have we no longer discipline our children. There's no longer loving discipline. And we would all believe that is one of the serious problems in our day. And people have, uh, even some who claim the name of Christ, have seemingly forsaken biblical discipline in their home. And, and, and that is the reason, again, uh, for many of the problems in homes and schools and in our society. Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe uh, some of the issues in our, in our society today, that, that even the, the neglect of discipline perhaps started in the church rather than in the home? Uh, and when you look at the history of our nation, we'll talk about that more a little bit later, that actually it was, it was discipline in the church that seemed to go in our nation even before discipline in the home did. And, 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 and many way, in some ways, the, the family uh, has even followed the wrong example of the church in this regard. Uh, and, and so let me talk a moment about the different kinds of discipline that, that, uh, that are taught in Scripture. We, we only think about perhaps... Uh, Punishment, we know that's not it, but there are really two types of discipline. There is what we would call formative discipline. And, uh, and of course, the word discipline and disciple come from the same root word that, that it means to educate. It means to teach. It's what we are to do. It's what we are commissioned to do by Jesus to make disciples. And so the, the, the formative part of discipline, all of us are a part of. And that's a form of church discipline, if you will, when we teach people the word of God in order that they can apply the word, in order that they can uh, grow as disciples, in order that they can fill the, fulfill the great commission, obey the great, great commission to make disciples. So again, it's a process of sanctification or growing in Christ-likeness. That's what we would call formative church discipline. We're all a part of that. We should be. And then there is, uh, secondly, again, what we would refer to as corrective church discipline. And really what Jesus is describing to us in this passage is what he's given to his church, he's given to us uh, for how to carry out corrective uh, church discipline. And this, this type of church discipline becomes necessary really when we neglect formative discipline and thus we sin. And, and we'll, we'll look at uh, some ap ap applications of that and, and we won't be able to cover it as fully as we'd like to uh, because it's a very uh, deep and broad subject. Uh, but, but we want to consider this, this matter today. Now again, Jesus describes someone who, is, who has sinned against you and we'll talk about that too. But he doesn't say what particular sin it is. Now there are, we're going to see, are, are, there are some specific Incidents in Scripture where uh, incidents in Scripture where people are corrected or, or church discipline is is brought upon them, uh, but but again Jesus is very intentional in not giving us what the particular sin is. And by the way, none of us here today is sinless. Amen. Can you say amen to that? None of us is sinless. And so one of the things that's often a criticism is church discipline. Again, with that attitude, that the people think it's it's uh, judgmental. 
and, and people think it's, uh, it's judging others, and they think it's casting a stone against people. And once again, if it's done in a spirit of pride, if it's done in a spirit of, of trying to hurt people, it's wrong. It's not biblical church discipline. It's not what Jesus has, has pres- prescribed here. But again, uh, we, we are to be, we, we're told to, to be, to be t- kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. And so it's not to be done in a spirit, uh, to be, uh, to uh, a spirit of pride or a, or a judgmental spirit whatsoever. It's to be done in a spirit of humility. And, and, uh, but, w- but what is the sin that would be re- re- required, since all of us are sinners and, and we have to continuously repent of our sin? This morning in our, in our membership class, uh, Josh said, you know, I have to, and Josh, I hope you don't mind me quoting you. I didn't ask you. Josh said, I have to read the Bible every day so that I don't sin. And how many of you say, you know, uh, would agree with that? I'm kind of quoting him. I'm a, a paraphrase of what he said this morning. But, uh, but in other words, we all have to get in the Word. We all have to spend time with the Lord in prayer to enable us to, to be stronger uh, in the Lord because, again, we sin. So, so what is the sin here that would, would call that? And, again, we're not going to go into great dis, uh, detail here, but Jonathan Lehman says of discipline in his book entitled Church Discipline, he said, it's, this matter of church discipline is driven by the single question of whether whether a church can continue to publicly affirm a person's profession of faith as credible. So in other words, what is being described here, and we'll see it more in more detail in a moment, that this sin is a sin that causes, that causes us to, as a church because our responsibility as a church, our authority, we saw it back in, in Matthew chapter 16, that, that Jesus has, get, has, has authorized us to affirm a person's profession of faith. Or as, a, as, as Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ in that incident, and Jesus affirmed his confession. So we, as believers, when people come, profess faith in Christ, we affirm their confession. We affirm their profession of faith in Christ. But a, a sin that requires discipline by the church is when that person continues in that spirit and in that attitude. And when we as a church, and when there will not be repentance, when we can no longer, as a church, affirm that person's profession. We're not saying they're lost. We don't know their heart. But we are saying, we can't say, because right now, the, the your, your life and your unwillingness to repent do not demonstrate true fruit in Christ. Uh, and so, it, it, again, this is a sin that causes uh, offense to others, hinders the person, their family, hinders the testimony of Christ, and brings reproach upon the name of Christ. So that, uh, that in way of introduction this morning, I want you to look with me at this passage at three truths concerning Jesus' authorization to his church to practice biblical discipline. Notice, first of all, Jesus gives us the purpose of biblical church discipline. In this passage, Jesus gives us, and many other passages uh, teach this as well, the purpose for biblical church discipline. Here in verse 15, uh, Jesus again uh, begins there by, by saying, if your brother sins against you, against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. So with that word gain, we see, first of all, the first purpose of church, biblical church discipline is to restore your brother or to restore your sister, the brother being uh, uh, generic for both uh, describing both a brother or sister in Christ. The offender here is a brother, a sister, if you will, in Christ. So he is talking about someone who is a a family member in Christ, someone who is in the local church. And begin, we're going to, obviously, as you read on in, the, in context here, 
You're, he's talking about the, the local church of which you are a part. He's not talking about uh, someone else's uh, church member. That doesn't mean that as a, a concerned Christian, we couldn't uh, share a, a concern or, or, or seek to help correct another brother and sister. But, but what we're given authority here to, to help restore a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned, and as we have described, that is hindering his testimony and that of the church. Again, this is not a lost person. This is not an unbeliever. Now, if you're a parent or you're a, a spouse, uh, that you have, you have a lost family member, that doesn't mean at some point you're not to uh, point out, share concern about sin that that person may be involved in. But in the context of church discipline, he is describing a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the purpose, Jesus said, is to seek to restore that person. And by the way, the word here, he says, if this person repents and, and that in this situation, then you have, you have gained your brother. The word gained was a word that was used of accumulating monetary wealth. Why would he use that word? Well, again, when a brother or sister's testimony is spoiled and destroyed by sin, ultimately, or is, on, is in the process of that happening, then you are, you're at risk of, of, again, losing a valuable treasure because that person's testimony, that person's life, that person's uh, family is precious. You see, the Bible teaches that a, a child of God who continues in unrepentant sin, that God will, as Hunter read to us this morning, God will discipline that person. And, and, and that means that ultimately, if that person doesn't repent, then, then, the, then the, God's discipline in that person may mean taking that person out of this earth. That's what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible says in that passage Hunter read, if you don't have discipline, that means you're not a child of God. Uh, and, and so again, we're, to, to lose that, you're, you're not only concerned about that person's testimony, but even their very life. And we all know of people whose, whose sin has led to the destruction of their home, the destruction of their family. And sometimes in the body of Christ, we've allowed those things to happen and, and, and we've said, oh, well, it's their business, it's none of my business. But what if, what if we as God's children got involved in their lives and sought to restore them? Not only might we save that person's life, to save their marriage and their family and even the future generations of their family. Folks, there's much at stake in a person's life and testimony when we do not take our responsibility of seeking to restore them. And so the purpose of church discipline is to store, restore a brother, not to punish them, but to restore a brother or sister. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then he said, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Again, we come to this word restore. The word restore here was used of, uh, in this day and time of setting a broken bone. Any of you had a broken bone at some point in your life? Uh, you know it's a painful thing. And so to restore a, a broken bone requires what? Gentleness. That's why he said it's to be done in the spirit of gentleness. You, di you didn't want anybody jerking you around when you had a broken bone, did you? You wanted someone to be very careful because it's painful. And so it requires gentleness. And again, that comes back to that whole spirit. It was also used of, of mending a net. And you might imagine mending a net. What, does, what would you think a, a net that has for fishing, uh, first of all, if it's, if it's not mended, you know, you're going to lose some fish, right? But, uh, but it's important that, that you have patience 
in mending a net. If you try to, uh, to mend a net in a hurry, you're only going to make a bigger mess of things. So these, these, uh, these important principles and practices of gentleness, of patience, are so important when it comes to restoring a brother. It requires love. It requires gentleness. It requires patience. It requires mercy. And so please understand that. When you hear people react against church discipline, biblical church discipline, those words say, no, 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 you don't understand. That's not what's meant by that. It's done. And again, apply it. Think about the illustration of child discipline, of family discipline. It's not for the purpose of punishment. If a parent gets pleasure out of punishing their child, there's something wrong with the heart of that parent. And if a church member gets pleasure out of, uh, out of, out of, out of having to discipline a member, there's something wrong with their heart. They, their heart is not right. And so again, the purpose first mentioned here is to restore a brother or a sister. Second one that is certainly implied but is taught clearly in Scripture uh, in other places, and that is to protect the name of Christ and his church. You see, the Bible says that everything we do as believers is to be done to the glory of God. I love, we read it in our prayer time this morning, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, 21, to him be glory in the church. It's all about the Lord Jesus. It's his church. It's all about getting glory to him and his name. And we are to help protect and guard the name because the name represents everything Jesus is. And when the church is not being who the church is intended to be, we are robbing the glory from God's name. We are we're hindering the testimony of the name of Christ. And, and uh, so Paul wrote the, uh, the Corinthian church urging them. They had a, they had a church member uh, he urged them to, to take action in church discipline against this, this member. Why? Because he was living in an incestuous, ad- adulterous relationship with his stepmother. And you know what the church was doing? They were having the attitude that some churches do today. Well, you know, we're a loving church. We're just going to love this fella. After all, who are we? And I'm just, sort of, I'm just imagining their ideas. Who are we to cast a stone? I mean, you know, I'm a sinner too. How can, I, how can I bring about church discipline? And so their attitude was, you know, we're, we're just, we're just going to have this, this, this kind of spirit. In fact, they were bragging about that, the fact that they were so loving and, and so forgiving. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. He says, your boasting is not good. He said, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, leaven, of course, is another word for yeast. What does yeast do when you ladies or men are making bread and you put that yeast in that dough? What does it do? It causes it to rise. It spreads. It grows. And so he's describing what sin does uh, in the church, in the local church, in the body of Christ. It grows. It, it spreads. And, and sin, like yeast or leaven, ferments Throughout the, throughout the church, and it spoils our fellowship, it spoils our testimony, hinders the testimony of the cause of Christ. And again, this is why, and this is the purpose that Jesus has given to us for biblical church discipline. Again, uh, you know, as you read on in your, your Bible, how did, how did that church in Corinth respond to Paul's admonition. Well, we believe that, that uh, they obviously responded in the right way. Because when we get to uh, 2 Corinthians, 
the, the, uh, Paul said concerning the brother, he said, affirm your love for him. So obviously they listened. They realized they were going in the wrong direction. They were, they were neglecting a very important doctrine of the Word of God, biblical church doctrine that Jesus had authorized them to have. And, and so there was an indication, not only that, but after they had taken a biblical responsibility and had removed or excommunicated that brother, he must have repented because Paul said, affirm your love for him. And so again, what God says to do is right. And Jesus has given us the purpose ultimately uh, for church discipline to restore a brother or sister and to protect the name of Christ and his church. So first we see Jesus gives us the purpose for biblical church discipline. But notice, if you will, beginning and uh, as we continue in this passage, Jesus gives us the process for biblical church discipline. Jesus tells us how to go about this. Now, this is uh, not here in this passage, but let me, let me mention in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, uh, Jesus tells us something we really need to do before we begin this process of church discipline. He tells us there in, in Matthew chapter 7, 3 to 5. By the way, he doesn't tell us in that passage in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't tell us not to seek to remove the, the plank in our brother's eye, but he says, before you do, before you go to remove the, uh, the plank out of your brother's eye, first of all, or the splinter, rather, out of your brother's eye, be sure you get the plank out of your own eye. So in other words, he tells us to examine our hearts, to make sure our hearts are right, to make sure we're in fellowship. Because again, wouldn't that be rather ridiculous? And it's a really kind of a humorous illustration, if you think about it, having a, a, a plank hanging out of your eye and going up to your brother or sister and say, you've got a splinter in your eye. Let me help you get that out when you have a plank out of your eye. So Jesus said, no, take care. First of all, do an eye check, do a heart check, make sure you're in right relationship with God. Make sure your sins are confessed and you're clean in order that you are going. And then, then, so, so then Jesus says, we are to go. We are to go humbly and gently as he tells us to. But I want you to see with me from this passage, uh, from, from these verses, verses 15 to 17, if you will, the three steps in this process or four steps rather in this process of biblical church discipline. The first step, step one is what I'm calling confrontation confrontation. Again, here Jesus uh, tells us in verse um, 15, he says, more if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So first thing is you, you see this, this sin uh, in your brother or sister's life that you know uh, is, is hindering him, hindering his family, hindering the testimony of Christ. Uh, and, and so you go to that person in a spirit of humility. And, and notice he says to it, notice what Jesus said here in verse 15. He said, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That is so very important. You go uh, first to him or her alone, not to another brother. You know what happens? And I've seen it happen. All of, certainly all of my ministry where people see something or they're concerned about something and they go to someone and say, you know, um, I've seen something. Maybe nobody, you know, nobody else is aware. I don't know. But did, did, have you noticed this about so-and-so? And, -so? and uh, well, no, I didn't. Well, yeah, and I, I kind of wonder if this or I wonder if that. And you know what happens? So they don't go to that person alone. They begin to build a case and they begin to imagine things. Uh, that, Jesus made it very clear. You to go to that person first. It may be that others are aware, but the Bible says you don't go and tell you don't go and tell everyone else. You go to that 
person. You go again in a spirit of humility and you share what you perceive to be his sin and your desire in a spirit of humility to help them resolve that. And then what does Jesus say? Jesus said, uh, if he hears you, uh, and and, uh, he says, if he hears you, you have gained or you have restored your brother or your sister. And so the situation is resolved right there. And they say, yes. Uh, you know, I heard about someone in our church family this week. Someone uh, corrected them. And, uh, and in fact, I saw it happen with that person alone. And you know what their response was? Thank you for sharing that with me. And they responded immediately. With a, and they responded in the spirit of humility. And I trust they, they repented of it and they got it right. And if there's anybody else offended, they, they sought to make it right with those. Uh, but in other words, it didn't have to go everywhere. It didn't have to, go, didn't have to take it to a committee. This person didn't have to go to the, to the, um, to the pastor or didn't have to go to the Sunday school teacher and didn't have to go to their friends or their other church members. They just went to that person. And the person responded in a spirit of humility. Well, that's what Jesus intended. And you know another reason for why it's important to go alone? What if you go to that person and what you understand, what you perceive... And you get to that person and you, and you say, you know, this is what I, what I see and what I think is happening. And, and I believe it has the potential. And they say, oh, well, let, me, let me explain. You see, there may be something, one, you could be mistaken. You could be wrong. Or you may, you may have misread something. And so you may be able to realize, hey, I, what I thought was, was sin, I see it's not. And, and so you're able to resolve it right there. But you, if you've already gone and told other people and, and they're telling other people, uh, then, the dam- then damage may have been done that you cannot undo. So the Lord Jesus gives us this first step of, of confrontation that we pray will be the end of it right there. It doesn't have to go on. It could be, for example, we think about people being, being out of attendance and not being uh, attending. They, they maybe miss a Sunday or miss a two and Sunday or two. And so you go to them and, and, uh, and you say, hey, I, I, I have, I've missed you. I haven't seen you in, in Sunday school. I haven't seen you in community group. I haven't seen you in worship. What, I, I, I miss you. Well, you know, I've been, I, I, I've been lazy. I, you know, I just uh, overslept and man, I just, and, and so you in a spirit of, 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 of love could restore that person. They say, pray with me right now. And you may be able to restore that person right then and there and it would not, so that it didn't become a lifestyle. And you don't have to go and, and, and share it with everybody else. So again, uh, confrontation. But let, let me mention another quick word that I think is important to say along with that. Uh, not only should you not go to everybody else when you see something that you perceive that needs to be resolved but, uh, or sin that may be in, in that person's life, um, but, uh, but you shouldn't listen to those who do. What if you're the person who's there and the person uh, uh, comes to you and says, do you know, uh, I think I saw this happening in this person's life or, or I believe this person has, has committed this sin. You know what you need to do? Say, just a minute, have you been to that person? Have you been to them? Stop it right there. And, and you know, if more of us would do that, we would be a part of practicing what Jesus said to do rather than become a part of, if you will, gossip. And, and, uh, and sowing seeds of discord, which the Bible says is one of the seven things that God hates. And when we begin to do that, we are becoming a part of that. And we may think we're having in the right motive, but really oftentimes the motive is not pure for, for his glory. So first step, confrontation. Step two, when that person, if that person doesn't respond, notice what we do. Verse, verse 16 is affirmation. In verse 16, he says, but if he will not hear, in other words, if he will not 
be restored, if he will not repent, if he will not be willing to be reconciled, take with you one or, or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. By the way, that, that phrase there about two or three witnesses is you study the Old Testament. If you're studying, uh, as I have been in the book, the book of Deuteronomy, you know God established that even in the law, that, 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 would, that would the requirement of two or three witnesses. This step I'm calling affirmation. You see, if this person again refuses to repent, will not be restored, he says, take two or three other believers. And this is to affirm their uh, repentance and for there to join in with you in seeking to re- restore Restore this person. Take two or three. And, and uh, again, this, is, this will affirm their repentance, encourage their repentance, or the lack thereof. And again, it's also showing that person, demonstrating to them how urgent, how urgent it is that we be reconciled. How urgent and how serious sin is in the believer's life, how serious sin is in the church. And again, we, we, we have the attitude that sin is an individual thing. If I want to sin, that's my business. If I want to go here or go there, uh, that's a, a, a place I shouldn't go as a believer or participate in this or watch this or whatever, that's my business. No, when you surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior and become a part as you should as a believer, and you will if you're a true believer, a part of his local body of believers, you are accountable to the rest of your family. You're accountable to God first, yes, but also you're accountable to one another, and we are accountable to you and you to us, and we're responsible for one another. But again, we act, as, as many do, uh, individualistic. We, we think it's all about me, and it's not. And so this affirms to them the importance of their responsibility. And so hopefully, that person prayerfully, uh, that person will repent and will be willing to be restored. But what if they don't? Well, that leads to step three, participation. Verse 17, he says, and if he refuses to hear them, those you and those other three, two or three or four, then he says, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he even he, uh, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. The first part I'm calling it participation. Again, uh, he says if he's unwilling to repent to be restored, then go to the church and share it with the church. Again, does that mean if it's a if it's a sin that is a a, a sin that uh, would would be uh, being, bring reproach on his family. At that point, it doesn't mean that all the sordid details of the situation have to be shared with the entire church, but to say to the church, we're in a process. We've sought step one and step two in Jesus' process, uh, and this person has been unwilling to be restored. This person is unwilling to repent. They're unwilling uh, to, uh, to make things right, and they've refused us, and they've said no to us, and in our attempts to lovingly and gently to restore them, they've said no. And so now we're asking you as a church to become a part of this process. Help us to restore them. Go with us. Reach out to them. Pray for them. Love them. Seek to restore them. It becomes, again, a whole matter uh, within the church family to, to become a part of the participation, if you will, of the entire church family. And then we, that leads us to step number four. Again, if that person, in the second part of verse 17, if that person, Jesus said, if he refuses... Notice again, if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. This step four is excommunication. 
this final step occurs again after all other attempts to restore the, this person have been refused. Uh, I, I have uh, uh, used this word, use it, sometimes we, we don't use that word excommunication, which means basically to, to disfellowship. And uh, so at this point, uh, the, uh, the, this the fellowship is to be withdrawn from this person. And the, the Bible says he is, Jesus says here, you're to treat him how? As a heathen and a tax collector, okay? And so what is Jesus describing here? Some people see that as shunning that person. Uh, some people would think that that means, oh, that you just can't speak to them. No. How do you treat an unbeliever? And he's describing a tax collector uh, as someone who here is an unbeliever. So how would you treat someone who is an unbeliever? Well, obviously, it doesn't mean you're unkind to them, does it? It doesn't mean that you, uh, you don't speak to them. Uh, that doesn't mean that person, even if, they're, uh, if, if you have to, they have to be disciplined in this way and be excommunicated or, or removed from the church role, does that mean that you're mean to them or unkind to them, that you won't speak to them? Does that mean they can't come to worship uh, service or Bible study? No, it doesn't mean that. It, you, what do you do with an unbeliever? You love them. You pray for them. You continue to reach out to them. You are still kind to them. Certainly you are. Uh, but, but, but we are to realize that that person uh, that we're praying for and seeking to restore that person uh, to, uh, to right relationship with Christ. And so uh, you're basically saying to that person, we can no longer publicly affirm as a church that your profession of faith is credible. Why? Because you're unwilling to repent. Again, it, 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 we are to retreat them as an unbeliever and seek to win them back. And yes, that would mean they, would, they wouldn't, wouldn't be qualified to, to serve in places uh, within the body of Christ. It would mean that they, they, would, they would, should not, they should refrain from participating in the Lord's Supper uh, because again, that's a privilege as a member of the body of Christ. It would certainly mean uh, those kinds of things. But remember, our purpose is always restoration. Our goal is always restoration. Just as your purpose and discipline of your children was not to punish them and to inflict pain on them, your purpose was always to restore them. Your purpose was always to correct them so that they might return. And that is our purpose under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has commissioned us and given us the, not only the authority to do, but the responsibility to carry out his discipline of his church within the local church. Well, so when does, when does Scripture call for this step? I already described to you what purpose of discipline is when we can no longer uh, affirm that person's profession of their faith. Uh, so, so let me give you some examples in Scripture. Titus 3.10 called for ex excommunication for divisiveness in the church. And, and in t Titus 3.10, he said, As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, having have nothing more to do with him. And again, that's describing that you are to take this step of excommunication. It's another way of describing exactly what Jesus said to do here in Matthew chapter uh, 18. Well, another reason for church discipline is for immorality. I told you about the man uh, that Paul uh, confronted there and the, confronted the church concerning in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 5, for the sexual immorality, he, he said in verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh 
so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. See, even Paul was not at that point necessarily calling this man's salvation into question, but he's saying you can't, you can't affirm his profession of faith, but he said, here's how serious it is. He said, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So that, you know, in other words, God's going to discipline him. If he doesn't repent, he's been unwilling to repent. God's going to discipline him uh, and, and turn him over. And, and uh, again, we believe that 2 Corinthians gives indication that he did repent, praise God. Another reason uh, is for, even for laziness. Did you know even laziness is a, uh, an unwillingness to work, is, is, a, is, a, is a church discipline issue? In, uh, in 2 Thessalonians, I told you a few weeks ago about how the believers had uh, believed that the Lord was, was coming, and, and so some of them had quit their jobs, and they were just kind of sponging off those who did work. And, and Paul said, that's wrong. He come in front of that in 1 Thessalonians. And in 2 Thessalonians, he said, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. This is, again, is another way of describing what Jesus has described here in, in Matthew 18. Uh, another thing that is taught in Scripture, and Paul called out some by name who were false teachers. Uh, and he said, you're to confront those false teachers, and that's false teaching, and you're to remove them. You're to, of course, you do the, go through the same process and warn them, but if they're unwilling to repent of their false teaching, he says you are to take the, the, the matter seriously enough to bring about this matter of church discipline. Well, what about non-participation in the life of the church, unrepentant non-participation. Hunter preached a, a few weeks ago on Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Scripture is very clear that believers are not to neglect or not to forsake as King James, the New King James translated, we are not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And obviously we know that there are those uh, among our, church, our local church family who would be here if they could. And so we make, we want, we make that very clear, and the Bible makes that clear. We understand that. There are those who, who are not physically able to be here because of illness, because of their physical condition, and they're not able to be here. Uh, and, and, and there are those who may be, who work uh, out of the country, some who are away in college, some who may be in the military and out of the country. Again, various reasons why people can't be here who, uh, when we talk about our gathering together. So we're not talking about those people. They're not those who are, who are intentionally and unre- with an unrepentant heart forsaking. We're talking about those who are, uh, who are willfully and intentionally forsaking the gathering together. Remember from the very outset, we said that the word church means assembly. It means the called out assembly. And so even by our very name of who we are, ecclesia, the called out ones, we are, the very idea of the church is that we assemble. That's not all we do. We don't just meet. This is not the church. This is just the building. But we do assemble. We do come together. We do gather for worship. We do gather for the study of the Word of God. We do gather, as we're going to tonight, to worship and to gather around the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. We do gather, and we're making an attempt to, uh, uh, to be more frequent in our gathering for the Lord's supper. You'll see that more, and I'm, that's a heads up to our Lord's supper team, uh, because we want to be biblical in regard to gathering for the Lord's supper. 
uh, we, we gather and we serve one another. And, and we gather uh, and we give in, in worshiping of the Lord and to support His work and obedience to the Lord. And we gather together on Sunday nights in community groups uh, in order to, to, to stir up one another, to love and good works, in order to encourage one another, in order to, to, to fulfill all the many one another's in the Word of God, to love one another serve one another, accept one another, honor one another, admonish one another, bear with one another, bear one another's burdens, and on and on, at least 58 of them in Scripture that we're commanded to, uh, the one another's in Scripture. We can only do that when we come together. And, and there's no, you won't find anywhere in Scripture uh, a, a, a term called inactive church member, okay? It's not in there. You can't find it. We may have it. We may use that terminology, and we do, but you won't find it in the Word of God. Just the very idea of being a part of the church implies gathering together. And so if we are responsible for one another, and we see that we have the authority for this matter of, of discipline with one another, how can we do that? How can we watch over one another? How can we uh, be responsible and accountable for one another if we don't come together? We can't. How can we affirm someone's profession of their faith and, and, and affirm that when, if, if that person is not a part of our church life? We can't do that. How can we be sure that they're, they're upholding the testimony of Christ and the, and the name of Christ and not hindering the name and testimony of Christ or the name and testimony of, of church, the, His church and specifically Lucy Baptist Church if those individuals do not gather with us? We cannot. And so therefore, yes, the Bible, I believe, is clear that we have the responsibility uh, when, that, when we've sought to restore that person to once again active church membership and, and involved in serving the Lord and doing these things we've talked about. If they're unwilling to do that, unwilling to repent of that, then we have a responsibility to take this action of church discipline and then specifically excommunication. Now, what is the purpose? Is it to be mean? Is it to be cruel? Is it to be unkind? Uh, is it to pass judgment on them? No, 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 no. It is to lovingly seek to restore them. That is our desire. That is our goal because that's what Jesus has given us this purpose for, to restore that brother or sister in Christ and uphold again the name of Christ and within the local body of believers and in this world. And that is the only way uh, that we can be certain of that. So, so again, I hope you see this, uh, these steps that Jesus has given us, all for the purpose, ultimately, of restoration. Now, we have in our church family, as we've counted, somewhere close to just under perhaps 250 inactive, what we would call, what we do define as inactive members within our church. And, uh, and, that, and, and, and that, that's even after, in a more recent church family meeting, with your vote and your, your uh, approval as a church body, we removed 120 names of people from our church role uh, for, uh, because we had their names, but we had no idea where they were. And after numerous efforts to try to locate them, we brought that recommendation to the church and those names, 120. So you add those in, uh, but these are 250. We have an address on them, and we have been in the process of trying to restore them. Now, I know through the years, I know it didn't start with us. You know how it happens, right? You know that uh, somebody's coming faithfully, uh, at least coming often enough you see them every once in a while, and then gradually, little by little, where's so-and-so? 
Well, you know, he's been out. We've contacted him. Uh, why don't you get in touch with him? Get in touch with her, and you visit, and you make a call. You make a contact, and, and yeah, I know we need to come. We've just been busy. You know, we've just gotten lazy. And the first thing you know, that person who was kind of an uh, occasional uh, person who missed now has, has a total uh, lifestyle practice of forsaking the church, of neglecting the assembly together. And so we just sort of put them over on the inactive roles. I've been your pastor for 11 years now, a little over 11 years. And some, some of the people that live within pretty close distance of our church building are in that category. And I have visited them through the years. And you have visited them far before I got here and, and continue to try. And some of them in the 11 years that I've been your pastor have not come into, the, into worship with us. They have not attended a single time in those 11 years. Does that glorify Christ? Can we be who we ought to be as a church in regard to our ministry to that person? Can they be who they're supposed to be in regard to their ministry uh, when they could come but they simply do not come? Can we, can we affirm their, their testimony and as, as, as what they say concerning that? Uh, does it mean we don't love them? No, but are we, are we really being biblical in our regard to them when Jesus has authorized us as a church to carry out biblical church discipline. In the process of attempting uh, to visit people, some of you heard me say this, uh, we've had one of them at least who said they are now attending a Buddhist temple. One said to, the, to me when we asked them about their relationship with Christ, uh, because that, what we've tried to share the gospel with some of these we've visited, one of them said to me, that's none of your business. Another uh, indicated, uh, again, that they did not, ha they had no assurance of a relationship with Christ. And one of the, one of the, it, it, it was, a, it was a sad on one part, but a joy on the other that I had the opportunity, we had the opportunity to share the gospel with this person. They did not profess faith that day, but they acknowledged that they don't have a relationship with Christ, that they have no assurance of a relationship and have no testimony of having repented of sin and placed their faith uh, in, in Christ. Uh, again, um, uh, another at least and, uh, and, uh, will not, when we wanted to go and visit, said, no, I don't want you to come. And, and many who have not responded either to a, to a call or to a contact are unwilling. And some uh, have no indication or no seeming willingness to be restored and to repent and to return to active participation in the body of Christ. And again, we cannot, we cannot biblically affirm their profession of faith when they are not interested in the things of Christ. You see, when Jesus is your Lord, you will love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. And so it is totally inconsistent to call yourself a Christian, a child of God, and not desire to meet with God's people, to gather with them, to worship, to study the Word of God, to serve, to give the Lord uh, to God's work. So Jesus gives us this uh, authority, and, and Jesus gives us the process for biblical church discipline. But thirdly and finally, Jesus gives us his promises for biblical church discipline. Jesus gives us his promises. What are they? Beginning in verses 18 to 20. Now, I read this passage to you, and, uh, and, and maybe, you know what we've done many, many times? This, these verses, verses 18 through 20, most of you, when you heard those verses, you said, oh yeah, I recognize that. You've read that. You know that. But you know, most often, these verses are, are quoted out of context. And they are applied to worship 
and they are applied to prayer meetings. And is, are worship and prayer meetings important? Absolutely they are. But, but basically, folks, to be real honest with you, we have misquoted and quoted out of context these important verses. And, but in the context, Jesus is continuing his teaching on this important subject of church discipline. So we need to think about that, and, and we need to uh, lovingly confront one another and con- even correct one another when we, when we want to misquote and, and out of context these verses. What is Jesus promising us here in verse 18? Look, look again. Let's just read it. Verse 18, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So in relationship to the context here, what is Jesus promising us concerning biblical church discipline? First of all, Jesus is promising, Jesus is promising here his authority for the practice of of biblical church discipline. Jesus is giving us the authority as a local church. Now we said, we said to you in the first message on, on the church from Matthew chapter 16 that in that passage, and we'll, we'll look at it in a moment because it relates to this, Jesus gave us the authority as the local church. And he said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. We'll see that in a few moments. But also we see in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the authority for, for baptism and, uh, and, and to go into all the world. He gives us the authority to make disciples and, to, and a part of that to, to baptize them. So he gives us that authority, which is connected, once again, to the local church. And, uh, and then uh, Jesus um, gives us authority in the Lord's Supper. We see that as we, we looked at that in a, a message earlier in this series on the Lord's Supper. Jesus gives us the authority in uh, celebrating together the Lord's Supper and observing that. And, uh, and so those are important things that come under this issue of authority. But notice here in this passage, as it relates to uh, church discipline, Jesus gives us this authority to exercise biblical church discipline. What does that mean? That means we have his authority. And that if this person repents, Jesus is saying, you have the authority to tell them that their sin has it's been loose. That they, and, the, and literally, the idea has has already been loose. That that which is bound is is uh, verse again, verse eighteen. Uh, whatever you bind will be bound, or literally will already have been bound. And whatever is you loose will have already been loose. Is literally the idea here. So Jesus is saying He's given us the authority to let the, these individuals know that again, if they're unwilling to uh, repent. Uh, that they're still in their sin. And, uh, but on the other hand, in that very first instance, if they say, man, I, I want to get that right. Thank you for lovingly and, and, and correcting me, and I want to be right with God. Thank you for pointing that out. Then we have the, the, the authority to say to them, on the basis of the Word of God, God says if you confess your sin, he says in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. And we can say on the authority of the Word of God, upon your repentance and your confession and getting that right with God, praise God, you are clean. You're right with God on the authority of God's Word. But also we have the authority to say, on the basis of God's Word, not our own authority, His Word, that we can say to them, listen, if you're unwilling to repent, if you're unwilling to turn to God and get right with God, you're still in your sin. You're still out of fellowship with God. And, and, and we're able to say even in that final step, if they're unwilling to repent, then, then we have to take the step of saying to them that, that, they, that they are, 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 we can no longer affirm your profession. Now, again, where did Jesus give us this authority? He gave it also in Matthew 16, 19. When he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. A key is a sign of authority. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Same language here. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus has given the authority for this matter of church discipline under the word of God, under his word, to practice Biblical church discipline. Now, if we, if we practice something that's not biblical, if we try to take action that is not under the authority of the Word of God, we have no authority for that, okay? Understand me. If we don't practice church discipline in love, in gentleness, for the purpose of restoring the person to right fellowship and relationship with God, if we have the wrong uh, motive for what we're doing, Jesus doesn't authorize us. But if we have biblical grounds and we're doing so the way Jesus has prescribed to us, then we're, we have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in the Great Commission, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Jesus gave us the authority of the Great Commission, and he's given us the authority in this matter of church discipline. And that means, again, we have the authority, not that local member. We've had some to say, well, what about... To, let's let the person make the decision about whether they want to leave or not or whether or not they want to remain on our church role. You know what that's saying? That's saying the authority lies with that person. It doesn't. I don't have authority over my church membership. You don't either. The local church has the authority. Jesus has given the local church the authority over your membership to watch over you and to care for your soul and to uh, challenge you and to be, for you to help be held accountable to that standard. And, and so the, that person doesn't have that authority to make that, to make that decision. Jesus has given it to us. And if that person will not repent, will not be restored, we have the authority under Jesus to say to that person, you can no longer be, belong as a member of our church. And Paul, by the way, said that. You know, one people, some people want to quote Jesus. They want to misquote Jesus when they say, judge not, lest you be judged. That's not what Jesus was talking about. You're misquoting him. But here, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.12, having just dealt with that issue of church discipline of that person, he said, for what have I to do with judging others? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. We have a responsibility to hold one another accountable. Jesus has given us that authority. He promises that. But secondly, in this, in this part, Jesus promises his answer to prayer for church discipline. Look at verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now again, we quoted that 
in relationship to prayer, and, and there's certainly some principle there and, and, and some application, but in context, Jesus is talking about the matter of church discipline. And, and so the word here for agree is symphino, from which we get the word symphony. Doesn't it sound like it? And you know what a symphony is. It's, it's coming together with various instruments and, 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 and acting and in, uh, in, in playing in symphony. And here, uh, we're praying and acting in symphony with God's word. And God always honors his word. God, God always acts in accordance to his word. He doesn't act contrary to it. And he'll always bless and honor when we as his church seek to do that. And so, again, church discipline does require prayer. It requires continual prayer, praying for that person. That's a much of a very important part of the process of seeking to restore that person. Uh, it requires prayer that we are, be, are sure that we're, that we're acting according to the word of God. It requires prayer to be sure that our motives are right. It requires prayer to be sure that there is no plank in our eye before we go to get the splinter out of our brother's eye. It, it requires uh, praying for unity because again, um, when we take action, it may be a family member uh, of someone in our church family. And so we don't want that person to be hurt. So we pray for those people that they'll understand our motives and that it will not cause disunity and division when we have to be obedient to what Jesus has authorized us to do. So we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. And the Lord Jesus has promised us that he will hear us and that he will act according to his word as we pray uh, and, and, and act uh, in, in this way that Jesus has given us to. And, and again, we, we trust for his glory in the midst of it all. And then thirdly, a third promise concerning church discipline. Jesus promises his active presence in the midst of church discipline. Notice what he says again in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus is promising to be present with us when we gather in his name. And in this context, when we gather to be obedient to him in regard to this matter of church discipline. Uh, and again, many today fear that, uh, oh my goodness, if we, if we do this, People will leave. Everybody will leave. And our church will dry up and die if we practice biblical church discipline. Well, well, well I'm, I'm worried about what will happen. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus said, if two or three of you gathered in my name, when you, again, in context of church discipline, he said, I will be there with you. And, and listen, as long as Jesus is here, folks, the church is here. Amen? It's His church. It's not this building that makes us Lucy Baptist Church. It's not even our Constitution and bylaws that make us Lucy Baptist Church. It's not the Southern Baptist Convention that makes us Lucy Baptist Church. It's the Lord Jesus here that makes us His church. And if we want anything, we want Jesus to be present in this church. Amen? We want Him to permeate. We want Him to saturate. We want Him to be honored and glorified. It's His church. And so He promises us to be actively here in our midst as we are obedient to Him and what He's called us to do. And so, dear friend, please don't worry about that. Please pray about it. And let's seek to be obedient to it. John Dack, theologian, said, when discipline leaves a church, Christ goes with it. We want Christ here, amen? We want the Lord Jesus to be here. Again, many fear that church discipline will hurt the church's growth. Well, folks, read your Bible. The early church grew and grew and grew in the midst of the practice of church discipline and obedience to the Lord Jesus under the authority of the Word of God. In his, in his book, uh, Democratic Religion, Dr. George Wills, a professor at Southern Seminary, says, 
that in the pre-Civil War days, Southern Baptists excommunicated nearly 2% of their membership every year. Yet, their churches, he said, grew twice the rate of the population growth. After the Civil War, Wills said that church discipline simply faded away as if Baptists had grown weary of holding one another accountable. Last year, Southern Baptist churches declined 0.7, over 100,000 less than the year before. And our baptisms were down 5.5% in this, in this year than the year before. Does that break your heart? It breaks my heart. That was brought up in our family meeting the other night about the lack of growth, about the lack of people. And by the way, we, uh, we don't have zero in the nursery, okay? And uh, we, we still have preschoolers, all right? Praise God. Uh, but, uh, but it burdens me that we've only had two people baptizing this year. I don't, I don't take joy in that. I'm, I, re- I rejoice with those who profess faith and follow Christ in baptism, but I don't rejoice in a low number in baptism. I don't rejoice in, uh, in, in, uh, in low participation. It breaks my heart. And I know that the lack of church discipline, the neglect of church discipline, is certainly not the only reason for church decline. There are other areas of disobedience, like, like not being obedient to evangelize and share the gospel and make disciples who make disciples. I know that's, uh, that's one of the top reasons. But could it not be that one of the reasons for church decline in our church and in other churches is, again, the neglect of biblical church discipline. And I just, let me just pause and say to you this morning, folks, as your pastor, I, first of all, I love you. And I want to say thank you for those who've expressed your love for me. And uh, I've been your pastor for 11 years. And those who've been here during those 11 years, you, you know, I don't have to tell you that I'm a very imperfect man and that I make mistakes. And I have made mistakes as your pastor. And I, guess what? I'll be making some more. Not intentionally, I trust, but I will. Um, and, uh, but I also want you to know that I love you. And I am, y'all may think I, I'm singing this song a lot lately. I am 58 years old. And, uh, you know, some pa- pastors come to this place in my life. That's not old. Y'all agree? That's not old, right? Amen. Amen. That's not old. All right. Some of you are a little older than me. Uh, but you know, a lot of, some pastors get to this place in life and they know, well, you know, a few more years, maybe I can retire. I think I'll just coast. You know, let's don't, let's don't upset the apple cart. Let's don't, uh, man, here you are. You've been here 11 years. Things aren't going that well. The church is not really growing. Uh, you're not very likely to be called to another church because if they look at the statistics of your church, two baptisms, declining attendance. So don't upset the apple cart. Make matters worse because surely then no other church would be willing to call you. Now, I, don't, I can't speak for other people, but are you ever tempted to think those kind of thoughts, Pastor? Sure. But I also want you to know at 58, and I hope the Lord lets me live to, till, he's, till Jesus comes. Amen? And I'd be privileged to be your pastor then if, if the Lord chose that for me. But, but, I, but I, I, I don't want to coast. Um, I want to see this church healthy. I want to see this church because Jesus loves this church, and I love this church. I want to see this church grow to the glory of God, biblically, reaching people, making disciples, fulfilling the vision and the great commission that the Lord Jesus has given to us. So I don't want to coast. And I came to the conclusion, I'm willing to take, 
I don't consider it a risk, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be obedient to Jesus. I don't want to just coast out, okay? I want to glorify God. And if, and, if, and if this is the final place God would have me to serve as a pastor of a local church, I want this church to glorify God. And I'm willing to do whatever Jesus said. And I believe this is what Jesus has commissioned us to do. You know, the, the other night we had some discussion about, about uh, homosexuality. Do you believe what the Bible says and even what Jesus teaches in the Word of God about that? Do you believe marriage is between a man and a, and a woman and, and that God established marriage? Of course you do. Do you believe what Jesus taught about heaven? Do you, church? Do you believe what Jesus taught about hell? Yes, of course you do. Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. Do you believe what Jesus uh, taught us about his life and his death and his resurrection and his coming again? Do you believe that, church? Yes, you believe that. Amen? Well, then let me ask you today. Do you, do you believe what Jesus said about biblical church discipline? Are you willing to do what Jesus said? Do you willing to see that, not, not listen to the world about how it's mean and it's cruel and it's unkind and it's unloving? We don't want to be that way. That's not biblical church discipline. Let's believe what Jesus said about it and let's be obedient to him. And I believe that as Jesus has promised us here, that he will be with us. And that he will make his presence known. And I believe that he will enable us. You see, see, the growth of a church is not simply because a pastor preaches good messages. Certainly he ought to preach biblically. He must. It's not just because uh, a church, and certainly not because a church uh, has a beautiful building and, and because a church has a wonderful location. Sure, those things may help. But that's not why God blesses the church. God blesses a church that honors Him. God blesses a church that is obedient to Him. God uses a church like that. He gives it fruit. He uses them to not only to, to proclaim the gospel, but to see people come to faith in Christ. And when we will honor God and obey God and do what God says to do, then the growth and health of, of and health first and growth of Lucy Baptist Church will be in His hands, and we simply be obedient to Him. That is my heart. That is my desire. That is my, my vision. Please pass that word along. Please let others know that. And let's unite together. Let's don't divide. Let's unite together to the glory of God because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of a pure bride. There's a lost world that desperately needs to know there's a Savior who loves them and gave his life for them. And he's commissioned us with the responsibility and the authority to go with them with that gospel message and with a pure life and pure holiness in that body that will back up that testimony with a walk that glorifies Christ. And I believe, dear friend, Jesus is not going to forsake a church like that. He's not going to go off and leave a church like that. In fact, he promises he won't. Amen. Let's commit ourselves to that, to the glory of God. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.